How to create a glitch the web of associations. First of all, in the earliest form, religion is pantheistic, which is to say all is one. In this, monad reality, the distinction between objects is moot because they have no true essence apart from the all. There is no web of associations. The next option in the developmental chain is polytheism, which views the material as being associated with or partners with the being responsible for manifesting reality. This suggests dualism. The acceptance of polar ideal forms comprise the creation mechanism, and also a web of associations which is bifurcated. Finally, comes monotheism, the notion that there is only one immanent being which creates all things. This suggests a unitary reality, comprised of a complex web of individualized associations. Now, these options, pantheism, polytheism, monotheism, don't just reflect ideological dogmas. They represent our earliest attempts to engineer our reality according to our manifestations and the architecture which we constructed. This means that the gradual development of pantheism to monotheism is reflective of the creation of a hidden architecture built out of the stuff of meaning. Just as these dogmas develop their own systematizations, we see that the gradualistic development of those systematizations approach a certain accessibility. These webs of association are the filters which shape reality according to specific views of human behavior, shaped by the esoteric narratives of these common myths and histories. They give us the vocabulary to understand reality and ourselves. Now, it may sound like I am suggesting the material preceded the ideal, but that is not my intention. Reality began in a petri dish of idealism, matured in a hybrid of polytheism and monotheism. The primordial substance of reality, the stuff of meaning, is interchangeable with consciousness. Thought, meaning, and matter are one, but our thought is structured by the architecture we construct out of our web of associations. In ancient Greece, many subscribed to the doctrine of four elements. These constituent elements, water, wind, earth, fire, were then applied to a variety of substances, properties, materials, celestial bodies. Gods, etc. In other words, by utilizing these four substances and applying them to a diverse array of further objects and things, the ancient Greeks and those who have followed in the footsteps of the elemental paradigm have produced a complex web of associations governing everything from a single four-unit primordial class. This four-unit primordial class has the benefit of being the first number in a whole number sequence with four factors. Two times two is four. And one times four is four. Thus, not only is it the number four, but it has four factors. Likewise, four has a number of additional properties, which mean that it is thoroughly interrelated with all numbers in some fashion or another. Four is also related to shapes, including three-dimensional trigonal objects, four vertices, and square or rhombus-shaped two-dimensional objects. So you see. A primordial class of four has an appreciable numerical reach. Just think of all the ways you could use the number four to describe the substance of creation. There are four observable dimensions, and four points are necessary to produce a three-dimensional shape. Now, in social dynamics, four is also important in that it represents two pairs of two polar options. It represents two generations of people with two pairs or couples. It is a self-perpetuating number of people. 
4 gives significance to the diamond shape in social dynamics. Now, all of this aside, 4 is only a number. But the infiltration of it as primordial unit class into the substance of our experience implicates it and its web of associations every time it is seen, counted, utilized or thought. But a 3 unit class is nearly as useful as a 4 unit class. Religions that utilize 3, such as Christianity in the Trinity, or Hinduism, or the three dimensions of spatial geometry, or three-sided shapes such as triangles, must be considered in the context of number theory and connections between the number 3 and all other finite numbers. 3 is the third prime number. It divides time into past, present and future. It divides life into birth, life and death. I could go on. The point is, the number used to determine the primordial unit class of a web of associations is less important than the manner and extent to which it is applied to the substance, properties and materials of reality. For example, one is in every other number, it is the indivisible, the first, something rather than nothing, but the problem with using it in a web of associations is that it requires the greatest number of steps to any given number or phenomenon. Four or three has more utility but 2 gives us polarity. Both the numerical relationships and the systemization which follows the constituent class, produce a dynamic web of associations interrelating all things. Every ritual act, every connection, can be described numerically. And every numerical system has these numbers built into it. This is the power of ritual. This is the power of prayer. This is the magic of creation. The mobilization of a web of associations so vast that it interrelates all things. Different numbers are associated with different geometric shapes. Different geometric shapes are associated with different structures. Different structures are associated with different properties. Each systemization produces an architecture to the unconscious. An architecture which is activated through the magic of ritual. In this episode, we will be drawing connections between social geometry, mirroring and symmetry. In the previous episode one talked about how the primordial unit class of a paradigm determines the manner of its application to a web of associations. For example, the elemental paradigm which uses four elements, extends those four elements into a variety of properties and phenomena. As a result of this web, and in concert with the intrinsic interrelatedness of the number 4 with all other phenomena, such as through the four fundamental forms of force, through the four dimensions of space and time, and through a variety of other forms of phenomena that can be understood to function in fours, the web of associations extends itself throughout the observable reality of experience. Now, keeping that in mind, it is also possible to have a unitary, a dualistic, a trinitarian primordial unit class web of associations as well. Just as it's possible to use 5, 6, 7 or any other number. The point is, the unit class of a web of associations is arbitrary. What is important is how diverse and complete is the web upon which it is constructed. Now, in the foundations of every experiential analysis of reality, there is a particular class which describes the observable quality of experience. As such, we can say that conclusions can be drawn from the quantum of this unit class. Keeping that in mind, I want to jump to a topic outlined in the original Glitch series, that is the social geometry of a mirroring exchange. 
The purpose of this analysis is to link the scientific quality of symmetry to the mirroring inherent in social communication pursuant to gateway formation. Now, as observed in the original Glitch book, line of sight and optimization of mirroring produces certain geometric shapes in groups. 3 produce a triangle, 4 a square or diamond, 5 a pentagon, 6 a hexagon. Each of these two-dimensional shapes has symmetry around a central axis point and thus enables mirroring. But what if the symmetry of the shape produces mirroring in the exchange and not the other way around? These are two-dimensional shapes with vertices equal to the number of participants. But to fully recognize the capacity of individuals to form geometric shapes in three dimensions, is to recognize that four vertices may produce a diamond or a trigonal pyramid or a tetrahedron. A diamond is of two dimensions. A tetrahedron and trigonal pyramid are of three dimensions. But only the diamond and the tetrahedron possess rotational symmetry, which is to say that there are 12 different ways that the tetrahedron can be rotated around the central axis point producing the same shape. The trigonal pyramid is polar, which means that it has a distinct and imperfect kind of symmetry. Now, what is the significance of this? What this tells us is that in two dimensions a diamond is rotationally symmetrical. In three dimensions a tetrahedron is rotationally symmetrical. But the trigonal pyramid is not, and in fact, requires the importation of a dualistic property to account for its lack of symmetry. This tells us that, molecular behavior is an incomplete assimilation of a two-dimensional shape into a three-dimensional paradigm. The existence of polarity is an artifact of dualism embedded in Trinitarianism. It's also true that in the Glitch book, we talk about spatial transformations as a manipulation of the plates of meaning. We discuss how a common orientation to any point or object creates a gateway and hence mirroring. Imagine then that these rotational symmetries are actual rotations of the social grouping or actual rotations of the plate of the hands in making spatial transformations. What the above tells us is that these two qualities are distinct. If we navigate the plate system through spatial transformations, then our ability to express is delimited by the bringing of lower dimensional meaning into higher dimensional action. Because symmetrical transformations are of limited expressiveness. In other words, communication is built on asymmetry, the presence of say dualistic components in three-dimensional spaces. In other words, Observable properties in matter are merely the breakdown of a higher dimensional paradigm and its inclusion of a lower. In this episode we will be explaining the purpose of this season of the podcast. As it may or may not have become clear to the reader, the intention with this season is to introduce a new primordial unit class web of associations, or paradigm. Earlier in the podcast, we used four spatial plates and five emotional plates to describe reality. Likewise, in a previous episode, we said there were four principles governing reality. We will have to pass these two ideas into the new web of associations. The base unit of that new primordial unit class will be six units. A six-unit primordial class has many advantages. First, a shape with six vertices is an octahedron, which is a platonic solid. This solid has 24 rotational symmetries, which means that it can be rotated 24 times around some axis with symmetry while preserving the orientation. Likewise, it has 48 symmetries in total. Finally, 
it has the same set of symmetries as a cube. The base of the pyramid is a square, which corresponds to a four-person social geometric shape. Spiritually, it is significant in that it has been associated with unconditional love. The number six has spiritual significance in a variety of religions. As a base unit for constructing a primordial unit class it is obviously a good candidate. The question becomes, just as the four elements correspond to the base four unit class, and the four fundamental forces to the base four fundamental forces, it becomes necessary to designate the six units of the six unit class. Although finding the six fundamental forces is important, it is not the be-all end-all, in that, one can use the six-unit class as a base for other assertions. For example, the octahedron, as a shape, is found in nature in fluorite which is a crystal frequently associated with the element air and the heart chakra. I mention this only so the reader will understand how web of associations are formed. Octahedrons are also commonly observed in isometric minerals, such as fluorite, pyrite, magnetite, and diamond. Now, in this six-unit system we cannot import any extraneous classes which means there is no polarity to explain when symmetry is lacking unless polarity is one of the six principles of the six-unit class. As a caveat, at this point, I would like to add that polarity was the fourth of the four principles I enunciated earlier in the podcast series. The others of course were substitution, displacement, conservation and union. If we were to say use these four principles, but adding two more, we would have a six-unit primordial unit class. To begin the process of trying to understand what these two missing principles are, we have to build the system to see what is missing. But to do that, we have to first understand that a four-unit class gave us four dimensions to space and time. If we are using a six-unit class then we have to figure out what those two remaining dimensions of our universe are, which we will move on to in a future podcast. In this episode we will be elaborating on the six-unit class web of associations which we are constructing for this season of the podcast. The purpose of this is to develop a systemization of the internal and external world which we can implicate through ritual, story and praxis to produce glitches in reality. This episode will start with a recap of previous episodes to summarize the concept of a web of associations for the listener. Again, webs of association are the filters which shape reality according to specific views of human behavior, shaped by the esoteric narratives of these common myths and histories. They give us the vocabulary to understand reality and ourselves. They produce the many patterns that we see, and they enable us to find and produce glitches in everyday things. The primordial substance of reality, the stuff of meaning, is interchangeable with consciousness. Thought, meaning and matter are one. But our thought is structured by the architecture we construct out of our web of associations. Now, all of this aside, four is only a number. But the infiltration of it as primordial unit class into the substance of our experience implicates it and its web of associations every time it is seen, counted, utilized or thought. Each systemization produces an architecture to the unconscious. An architecture which is activated through the magic of ritual and narrative. To return to the main point of the podcast, we have to select six principles which describe and govern the full gamut of experience, both internally and externally. 
the base of the unit class will be six principles that produce all other experiences. I will start with the four principles enunciated in a previous post, with the hopes of condensing those principles before moving on to selecting other principles. To start off, the four principles explained in past episodes were substitution and displacement, union, conservation and polarity. These four principles can be supplanted or replaced by 1. Thesis 2. Antithesis 3. Synthesis 4. Negation 5. Association 6. Substance I'll explain how. First of all, the thesis is the primary creation act. The monad. It is the something out of nothing. The projection. Because it is the first principle it is soul and alone, the entirety, the all of being. Second, the antithesis, which produces contradiction, the second principle which enables dualistic view of reality. The yin to the yang. Continuity and discontinuity. Likeness and dissimilarity. Subject and object. Third, the synthesis, which is the union, the substitution or displacement, the resonance, the dissonance or discordance. The trinity. Finally there is negation, which implies contradiction and concealment. Next, there is association, whereby things can be present together without being the same or different. And finally the last principle is substance, as in the stuff of being. Meaning. Now for anyone who disagrees with these six fundamental principles, that's the great part about this. You're free to. By some measure these principles are arbitrary and could very well be different. The purpose of this exercise is not to define the fundamental principles of reality but to construct a web of associations for the purposes of this paradigm. So for the purposes of this exercise, it is enough that these six principles are fundamentally enmeshed in experience to produce a web of associations. In this episode we will be further developing the six-unit primordial unit class by incorporating ideas from the previous episodes. First of all, in a previous episode we talked about how the five spatial plates and four emotional plates would have to be incorporated into a six-unit class. In this episode, we will show how. There are six plates, five spatial and one ideal or emotional. It is possible to integrate the four emotional plates into a single plate because narrative incorporates the esoteric, symbolic, archetypal and emotional. These are the six revised plates. 1. Spatial location. 2. Voice. 3. Face. 4. Posture. 5. Hands. 6. Narrative idealism comprised of the emotional, archetypal, symbolic, esoteric. Now, this is only the first step in incorporating the previous podcasts into the six-unit class. Next, I want to talk about thought pairs and tension. Although there are only three kinds of thoughts, they also pair which means that there are six possible combinations. These six combinations are, 1. Left-handed open thought to left-handed open thought, consonant, resonant symmetric. 2. Left-handed open thought to right-handed open thought, dissonant, dialectical or non-symmetric. 3. Right-handed open thought to right-handed open thought, consonant, resonant symmetric. 4. Left-handed open thought to closed thought, consonant, resonant symmetric. 5. Right-handed open thought to closed thought, consonant, resonant symmetric. 6. Closed thought to closed thought, asymmetric.
Each pairing has unique properties. Some, like pairings 2, 4, 5, 6, produce or capture tension, while some, like 1 and 3, release social tension. As a result of this, we can see that pairings 1 and 3 produce mirroring in groups, which manifests as emotional coupling. We also have to reinterpret the six units of the base class through these six forms of thought. We do that by associating each member of the unit class with a sequence of pairings. So, again the six principles are 1. Thesis, right-handed open thought. 2. Antithesis, left-handed open thought. 3. Synthesis, pairing. 4. Negation, closed thought. 5. Association, open thoughts of opposing orientation separated by closed thought. 6. Substance, any thought. In this episode, we will be talking about the six pairings outlined in the last episode as well as touching on the six dimensions of space and time. First of all, I noticed after writing the last podcast that I neglected to give credit to Hegel, my primary influence, in the manner by which I presented the six principles of our hypothetical web of associations. If you notice similarities between my discussions and other authors, I do not doubt it, nor is it my intention to deny credit where credit is due. In any event, in this episode 1 we'll start by making reference to a scientific paper before I begin the analysis. It is a paper by George Sparling of the University of Pittsburgh called, Spacetime is Spinorial. New Dimensions are Timelike. In this paper the author hypothesizes the existence of six dimensions, three spatial and three timelike. There is a lot more to the paper but it is enough to note that in this view of spacetime space is ultra-hyperbolic, this means that it is a symmetric simply connected space. If we look at the six combinations of pairings again. 1. Left-handed open thought to left-handed open thought, consonant, resonant symmetric. 2. Left-handed open thought to right-handed open thought, dissonant, dialectical or non-symmetric. 3. Right-handed open thought to right-handed open thought, consonant, resonant symmetric. 4. Left-handed open thought to closed thought, consonant, resonant symmetric. 5. Right-handed open thought to closed thought, consonant, resonant symmetric. 6. Closed thought to closed thought, asymmetric. Earlier in the podcast series we talked about how what I called, folds in time, created by the filter of negation alters the flow of time. If you recall, I indicated that the broader the filter the more folds and the more stretched the rubber band which is the flow of time. From this, we can draw some conclusions. Looking again at our six principles reinterpreted through these thought pairs we have. 1. Thesis, right-handed open thought. 2. Antithesis, left-handed open thought. 3. Synthesis, pairing. 4. Negation, closed thought. 5. Association, open thoughts of opposing orientation separated by closed thought. 6. Substance, any thought. You'll note that negation is represented by a closed thought in this system. This tells us that, a fold in time is the product of a closed thought pairing with a left or right-handed open thought. Now, the number of components of a web of association which are negated by the closed thought determines the number of those folds in time. 
while the number of pairings between two negating thoughts determines the duration of the fold and thereby the degree to which the duration of time is sped up by the process of filtering. You see, closed thoughts have the effect of speeding up the direction of time. So we know then that the three dimensions of time can be represented by 1. Left-handed open paired to closed. 2. Right-handed open paired to closed. 3. Closed to closed. So what is the significance of this? Well we also know that the three dimensions of space possess the property of length. So, we know that the spatial dimensions, are, 1. Left open with left open. 2. Right open with right open. 3. Left open with right open. In this episode, we will be further elaborating the six-unit primordial class system introduced in this season, drawing conclusions from the available information to properly formalize the ideas outlined in previous podcasts. This episode will be drawing upon Season 5 Chapter 9. First of all, it is necessary to make reference to some of the elements of the last podcast to draw further conclusions. The three dimensions of time and three dimensions of space were outlined in the context of the six pairings of thoughts as follows. So we know then that the three dimensions of time can be represented by 1. Left-handed open paired to closed. 2. Right-handed open paired to closed. 3. Closed to closed. Well we also know that the three dimensions of space possess the property of length. So, we know that the spatial dimensions, are 1. Left open with left open. 2. Right open with right open. 3. Left open with right open. Now, since we know that dialectical pairings of open thoughts capture tension, but we also know that they are associated with one of the spatial dimensions, we can say that they have some net positive length displacement in addition to representing some force. Likewise, we know that the other two dimensions of space release tension, being open pairings, while also having some positive length displacement. These two qualities, tension and displacement are also present in Hooke's law, which is the law governing the functioning of springs given some force applied. If we hypothesize that the dimensions of space function very much like a spring, we can say that F equals K, spring constant, multiplied by the displacement. Now, we envision that the substance of thought, the substance of being, is akin to a spring with some force depressing it, producing a spatial dimension. Along these lines, we can observe that the depression or displacement caused by dialectical pairings would represent some maximum associated with the quantum of entropy created by that dialectical pairing. Likewise, the open pairings of same orientation, the other two spatial dimensions set out above, i.e. left to left or right to right, release tension, producing acceleration of the creation of that spatial dimension, but minimum displacement. Now we also know that dialectical thought pairs degenerate into open pairings. This means that the third dimension of spatial geometry is degenerative into the first and second, x, y. This degeneration of the third dimension, z, would account for gravity. The other interesting point is that we can predict that the third spatial dimension comprising open thoughts which are dialectical, produce contradictory observations regarding simultaneity, consistent with observations of special relativity. Now, the time dimensions tell a different story. The first two time dimensions capture tension, the same as the dialectical pairings do, 
while the third releases tension. We know that closed thoughts don't degenerate, but what they do is substitute the internal for the external of a second pairing. That isn't relevant yet, but it may be as we further our analysis. With regards to the three dimensions of time, we must imagine that time is like a rubber band of a certain length. One can create folds in the second and third dimensions of time, but as that length is lost to the folds in the second and third dimension, the remaining fabric within the first dimension is stretched thin. Thus, as the value of the second and third dimensions increases, the experience of the flow of time increases for the observer. This further tells us that closed thoughts, as negation, have a temporal component, regardless of whether they are paired with an open thought or another closed thought. As we negate our impulses, we are acting in one of the three dimensions of time. Hence, it becomes possible to see that it is possible that on some plane every inhibited thought happens. This is all speculation, of course, but the point of building a web of associations is to create a systemization which follows intrinsic rules of its own logic. An internally consistent theory will engage with the substance of reality, manifesting one's impulses and inhibitions. In later episodes, we will link the web of associations we are building to practical tips, rituals, and narratives, which will enable us to activate it for the purposes of creating a glitch. In this episode, we will be talking about geometric shapes and gateway formation. To reiterate, the social geometry of groups manifests particular geometric shapes to produce mirroring. A group of five, as an example, has five vertices and five rotational symmetries permitting mirroring at five locations in a finite space. But when looking at geometric shapes, objects, we can also observe that particular geometric shapes enable a certain number of positions in a closed space. If for example two individuals stand on opposite sides of a point of rotation they will form a gateway, which is to say, to some degree their experience will overlap. Or if let's say two individuals walk down a hallway, to some limited degree their experience of that hallway overlaps, hence the gateway. But if we are talking about three-dimensional objects, there is a degree to which irregularly shapes objects will delimit or prevent the formation of a gateway. For example, let's say that two individuals stand in a room on either side of a chair. Because a chair has symmetry down the middle, there are really only so many positions the two individuals can stand relative to the chair which will preserve their gateway and common experience. As another example, let's say two individuals are standing on either side of an object shaped like a tetrahedron. A tetrahedron has 12 rotational symmetries. This means that there are 12 ways the two individuals can be rotated around the object while preserving the symmetry of their perspectives, preserving the gateway. In other words, there are only 12 slots, so to speak where the two individuals can stand and preserve the symmetry of their observation and hence their gateway. An octahedron on the other hand has 24 rotational symmetries which gives them 24 slots so to speak for individuals to stand and preserve the same perspective, retain the gateway. This means that three-dimensional shapes act like, keys, for the creation of gateways among groups, permitting only so many slots, or locations, preserving the gateway in a finite space. Now, since we are suggesting that this reality has six dimensions, three spatial, three time, we have six vertices for every object, three of spatial form and three of temporal form.
These six vertices mean that the natural form of this six-dimensional reality is an octahedron. Likewise, we can say that the 24 rotational symmetries of the octahedron mean that the maximum symmetries available for gateway formation and mirroring is 24, 24 spatial locations relative to each object, which produce the conditions for gateway formation. Likewise, we can also draw conclusions about spatial transformations themselves from this analysis and the previous podcast. As explained, the spatial transformations we make with our hands are the self-same transformations we make with our minds. Only now, we ascribe six dimensions to these transformations. Keeping in mind that dilation of an object such as a human hand is not possible, we can say that there are only three transformations relevant, translation, rotation and reflection. We can see that these three transformations act in six dimensions of time and space, thus acting on dimensions of time as easily as dimensions of space. But even so, we know also that the second and third spatial dimension recede into the first spatial dimension. This means that the symmetry of the octahedron is degenerative, which means that the number of specific locations producing symmetry will decrease as time approaches some non-zero limit. In this episode, I will be discussing the implications of three-dimensional time to thought pairing and entropy. Now, in a previous episode we talked about how closed thoughts possess a higher dimension of time. The second and third dimensions, to be clear, are manifested by closed thoughts independently. Now, in another episode, episode 9 of season 5, we talked about how as time increases, the internal box of some subject actor is imported into the external box of some object actor. The key point being made is that although polarity and subject-object relations governs the first dimension of time, the higher time dimensions are not so limited. Thus, when an open thought is paired with a closed, the jointly paired possess a first-dimensional component, the open thought, and a second or third-dimensional component, the closed thought. The arrow of time requires entropy increase or at least stay the same. Hence in the first dimension of time open thoughts of opposing orientation dominate, capturing entropy before periodically degenerating. These ruminations also tell us that there are in fact three forms of inhibitory thought. The closed thought pairing with a left or right, or the open left paired with a open right, or what is essentially the same in a different dimension, two closed of opposing orientation. The closed thought propagates in the second and third dimension of time, but the open thought propagates in the first dimension of time. It is the polar nature of open thoughts which entangles us in the thermodynamic certainty of increasing entropy. Likewise, what in the past I called, folds in time, are in fact nothing more nor less than actions, thoughts paired to a closed thought, possessing second and third dimensional time. Looking again at the octahedron, we can say that since we know that three of the dimensions are associated with time, we know that a six-vertex shape possesses all six dimensions. This tells us that the octahedron can be formed in three dimensions of time. Thus, it may not appear as an octahedron in 4D space, which we typically would observe. Since we have also observed that emotional gateways, that is subject-object relationships, produce spatial intersections, we can say this follows from the interaction of open thought and creation of open thought pairings. The enmeshing of four dimensions of space and time, further to the emotional gateway, 
is suggestive that the emotional plate is the intersection between the ideal and physical. In this episode, we will be further elaborating the web of associations constructed in season 10, with the primordial unit class of 6. The goal of this episode will be to change the way that we look at reality, to enable us to perceive and shape reality according to this new web of associations. Part and parcel of constructing a web of associations involves the separation and categorization of the product of the senses in terms of the primordial unit class. We have already conceptualized spatiality in terms of three dimensions and temporality in terms of three dimensions, using the shorthand of this podcast in terms of open and closed thoughts. The next step is to conceptualize the senses in these same terms. To start off, there are six recognized senses. Taste, smell, touch, sight, sound, and proprioception. Of these, we can conceptualize three in terms of these already established categories of dimension. These three are taste, color, and sound. We'll start with taste. In Indian medicine, there are six forms of taste sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, astringent. From these six, we can assert the shorthand corresponding to the six dimensions of space and time. Thus, sweet becomes a left open to left open, sour becomes a right open to right open, salty becomes a left open to right open, bitter becomes a left open to closed, pungent a right open to closed, astringent a closed to closed. Likewise, in regards to color, we can say that the RGB color wheel produces six primary colors, being red, blue, green, cyan, magenta, yellow. These colors we can classify as 1. Red, left open to left open. 2. Blue, right open to right open. 3. Green, left open to right open. 4. Cyan, left open to closed. 5. Magenta, right open to closed. 6. Yellow, closed to closed. Finally, there are six fundamental sounds that when recognized by an infant demonstrate understanding of all aspects of speech. These sounds are 1. R, which becomes left open to left open. 2. Ee, which becomes right open to right open. 3. U, which becomes left open to right open. 4. Shush, which becomes left open to closed. 5. S, which becomes right open to closed. 6. Mm, which becomes closed to closed. Our web of associations now has a way of reconceptualizing 1. Sound. 2. Taste. 3. Color. 4. Dimensions of spatiality. 5. Dimensions of time. Using these new forms of encoding information in a six-unit primordial class allows us to implicate the number 6 and what it represents for us each time we use the lens created by these new associations. The end of goal of this process is the construction of a new way of perceiving the world around us, implicating our unique web of associations with each thought and manifestation. For us, the octahedron becomes a sacred object. The number six the fundamental number of reality. When we ritualistically snap our fingers to create continuity, we snap them each three times. When we dance to produce a glitch, we repeat each dance move six times. All of this is merely hypothetical, but the point is to create a web of associations, to use it to understand and categorize our experiences, to bring the uncanny into fruition. There are myriad ways of bringing this web deeper into one's awareness. But this is only the beginning, 
The rest is up to you. That's the end of the podcast for today. If you enjoyed it, please like, comment and subscribe.